dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see the headlights on both ends of my day this country Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer M. Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. Okay, so, folks, if our sound is a little different from um, what you're used to over the wire, it's because Kayleen and I are working from home in an abundance of caution, right? Yep. <laughs> and I am not a fan of that term anymore. <laughs> I think that should be the phrase for 2020 is just an abundance of caution. <laughs> the, the rest of the office is working on plans to work from home for the coming weeks because of the COVID-19 or coronavirus. So what do we know now that we didn't know last week? Well, uh, since last week, the World Health Organization has officially classified this as a world pandemic. Uh, COVID-19 is now in all 50 states and all of our U.S. territories. Uh, The World Health Organization's situation report for March 18th, which is today, the day that we're recording this, it shows 3,536 confirmed cases of the novel coronavirus in the United States, and 1,822 of those are new confirmed cases since yesterday's uh, 317 report. And yesterday we had word here in Ford County that a confirmed case of coronavirus was diagnosed. That person traveled to Dodge City to visit family from the Washington, Oregon region. Yeah, I that was a, a bit of a surprise there, Kaylee. Not, not that it was... Uh, that we had a case finally. It's just because it's not really a matter of if, but when, um, I guess the, the experts are telling us, but, um, that they came from Washington and Washington, Oregon area to Dodge city. They, they, I guess flew in. Is that what we heard? Yes. That's what I heard. My sister texted me and her, her sister-in-law, her mother actually works at city hall and they had closed city hall and they had, gotten confirmation from the hospital that there was a positive result in Dodge City. So, yeah, that's a, it's a little interesting. Um, I had friends and family from outside of Kansas uh, calling and texting after um, the news last night, so that was awful fun. Yeah, and it sounds like they're not even going to count it as a Kansas case. They're going to count it in Washington, yeah, they do that because the case did not originate in our state or in yeah. Ford County, so it doesn't count. Um, like you said, it doesn't count as a Kansas case. It counts in the the place of origin, and they do that because they're trying. Remember now, they're trying to uh, map where cases originate from, so that they can try to get ahead of of um, the outbreak kind of thing. So, um, and speaking of trying to get ahead of this thing, so. 
yeah, we are practicing social distancing. <laughs> Extreme. <laughs> You're several Literally, miles away. <laughs> I'm 10 miles away from town. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's way beyond the six foot <laughs> radius. <laughs> but um, we have a, a list of cancellations and closings that just grows by the hour, it seems. Yesterday, um, we started, or Monday, we started updating that list online at hpj.com. And um, as they come into our offices, of course, the big news last week was they canceled the Houston Livestock Show and the, and rodeo. the rodeo. Yeah. And then um, the Oklahoma Youth Expo, which is billed as the largest youth um, show of its kind. And it had gone, it, it was going as planned and they were continuing to show and continuing to show. And then I believe it was Monday, they, um, they went into the barns at the, you know, later in the day and they said, look, we're going to have to close and we're going to have to send everybody home. We can get a couple more classes in. And, um, they, they, they did some more, uh, sheep classes before they had to send everybody home. That's, that's one of the things I gleaned off of Facebook, Kayleen. And, um, it's it's just thank you Maggie for that. If you heard that sound, those are the the tags of my beloved Schnauzer Maggie who wants to be on the podcast. But um, and we're, we're not alone in having children <laughs> interrupting everything. So, um, but yeah, uh, people are are very sad and upset that that things are getting canceled right and left. Frankly, yesterday, this shocked a whole lot of people uh, in the state of Kansas. Our governor, Laura Kelly, she closed the school buildings for the rest of the school year. Now, um, this is just the buildings, uh, and there are plans, school district by school district, to do continuing education for the next two and a half months left of the school year. But, Kayleen, you've got two young boys and you do a lot of photography for graduating seniors and and families. Uh, this this really impacts you greatly. Yeah, there's <laughs> makes work kind of difficult when I have to worry about what the kids are gonna where the kids are gonna go and what they're gonna be doing. And you know it's it's gonna be gonna be a struggle because. I don't have a whole lot of patience sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and your mom is in a vulnerable category, like my parents are. So yeah, she just she just turned seventy at the end of last month, and she's diabetic, and she's had some health problems before. So I get kind of kind of squidgy about sending my germ bag kids over there sometimes. You know, and here's the thing: we're all in that position. It's not that it's not that you know everybody's dirty all of a sudden. It's not like we're a bunch of snot nosed people that just can't control ourselves and we don't know how to to behave in public. It's just the way that the virus sheds. You know, you can be doing that just every day. You know, just drop droplets from your your breathing on each other kind of thing. So, yeah, that's it's kind of it's frustrating. <sighs> But as far yeah. as the education plans, though, um, in the state of Kansas, uh, my fella is a technology teacher in a small school district, and I don't know how he's going to do remote teaching of welding classes, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's that's not going <laughs> um, to be accomplished very easily. 
I know some school districts are talking about create having teachers create packets to go home with students, um, send students home with with iPads or Chromebooks and have them do the learning guided by their parents at home. Have you heard anything from the Dodge City School District, Kayleen? Yeah, they had. He was on the radio station this morning and they put put out his interview on the radio station's Facebook page and I listened to it. It sounds sounds like, you know, just those things you described, the packets and maybe even checking out computers and, and iPads and even with those kids that need the special attention and need those special ed teachers, they they might be able to do one-on-one. They just haven't figured everything out yet. I think we're in, in the um, in the running to learn really quick, fast, in a hurry. The, the A of all, can we do remote um, learning and where do we learn, where do we go to to see how remote learning works well? And, and you know, I I think of, of places like Alaska and Australia that do remote learning on a regular basis for their students. You know, maybe there's some some wisdom to be taken from there. But also, we have talked over and over again about the need for, for high-speed internet access throughout the, the rural America. And this is going to be a prime example of that. There's people that are trying to figure out internet access working from home and they don't have internet in the house because of one reason or another. Or, um, you know, you've got kids that are on assistance and, and um, you know, mom and dad don't, can't afford to have internet at the house. I think this yeah. is, this is going to be a, a challenging time and a time for everybody to kind of pull together, I guess. Yeah, I think so too. And we'll really see what, what people are made out of. <laughs> So, you know, you and I, we've, we've known each other for, oh gosh, years, right? Yeah. So let's talk, let's talk real and honest. Um, you know, cause our, our listeners too, they, they probably have some of these same things that you and I have talked about, you know, kind of privately, but, um, what scares you about this? Let's, let's, you know, let's get the fears right out there. Let's, let's talk about those first. What scares us about this whole situation? You go first. <laughs> Gee, thanks. <laughs> I think the the part that bothers me the most is not 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 really the health aspect of it, but what it's going to do to the the economy. I mean, we have land notes, we have cow notes, we got animals to feed, we got our family to feed, and all that just really really bothers me because <laughs> I don't know where it's all coming from and. Thankfully, yeah. the calves are just hitting the ground now, and we got a while to see what we're going to have to do, but it's kind of scary as far as that goes, and, you know, with the, the schools being shut down and and the, the major packing plants here in Dodge City, I mean, we're in it <laughs> from the, the very beginning with the cow-calf deal, and uh, it's kind of scary to think if they do close those plants, what's going to happen to this town. Yeah, you're kind of in it nose to tail, as it were. Um, yeah. You know, we were talking about that today in a in a call. If the plants have to shut down because employees have to go home and take care of children because, A of all, you know, schools are closed, so there goes your major source of child care. And B of all, you're going to have, we don't have enough spots in a normal time period for um daycare for students and for young people, for, for children in a, 
like at a normal time of the year, um, let alone a pandemic. So if those plants have to close because they don't have enough employees to keep them running for a set period of time, that can back up through the beef chain. We're already starting to see, um, you know, fat prices were down, what, a buck or five bucks or... I mean, it, it, it was some astronomical price, and I should price. I should have looked that up before we started recording. But um, your sister was uh, talking about fat prices were just way low, and and yet yeah. we look and see that that beef is running off the shelves in stores, and the demand is there. People are still going for for you know beef in their preparations to stay home. Um, I yeah, pick, I'm, yeah. I'm, I listened in on the NCBA call this afternoon and they talked about that. And there was actually a reporter from California that works for one of the, the cattle feeder magazines. And he made the comment that the packers that he's talked to had been doing everything they possibly could to keep their people healthy and keep the line moving. Yeah. Cause you know, we have the, the safest, most secure, most plentiful food supply. It's just trying to make sure the logistics happen. You know, at, at any point in time with, with in time delivery, you know, we've, we've said it before America's two days away from really, really empty store shelves. And you're starting to see it when places like Walmart and came and, and target and big box retailers have to, instead of staying open 24 hours, um, they're reducing their hours so that way they can have time to go through and not only clean the store and take care of all the viruses that have been shed by the hundreds of people that have gone through there in a the day, but just restocking shelves. I mean, this is way beyond toilet paper, people. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and then they, they talked about on that call that the all the inspectors, they're, the Congress and USDA, they're working trying to get enough inspectors and trying to keep them all lined out and even with the logistics with the trucking and everything they are trying to get the regulations uh relaxed a little bit and just try to get everything situated where they won't have any trouble that way you know i was looking at models of um of the disease progress if we don't flatten the curve you know, the whole reason why we're all staying home and trying to not to get each other sick accidentally is if you flatten that curve, it means we have a longer, we may, we may have the virus around longer, but we have, we have time to catch up to it as far as our hospitals and, and, you know, treatment of the people that are sick. We don't have this gigantic tsunami wave of people hitting the hospital all at once. And I got to thinking the other day, my brother drives a truck. Granted, he's not a, um, he, he hauls equipment, uh, for dealers, you know? So I have, you know, my brother, he's a trucker and I got to thinking, you know, what happens if the truckers get sick, if they start getting really sick and they can't get on the roads, you know, there's a pinch point there. There's all of these unknowns and looking at it from a systems approach, like what we've been taught, um, in, in all of our classes is to look at the big picture, the macro picture, and to start seeing the different puzzle pieces as they lie. And there's so many things that are interconnected in this country that I don't know how the powers that be go about making the decisions that they do. 
all I can do is trust that somebody up above me in a, in a leadership position above me has the data that says, you know what, this is, this is what's going to happen. And and we're, we're going to try to hit, you know, head this off of the past kind of thing. Well, that's what, that's what we need to rely on is those that know the systems and know what to do in, in these sort of crisis fields. And we just have to rely on them to do their jobs the best they can. Yeah. I got to say, Kayleen, I think what, what scares me is my parents. You know, at first, when we first started hearing about coronavirus and, um, you know, how it was starting to come to our shores, knowing how influenza takes the very old and the very young um, because they're, and the immunocompromised, my first gut instinct was, you know, my littles, my, my nephews and my niece, your, your kids that are just too adorable for words. Of course, I'm not related to them by blood, but I still love them. (laughs) You know, I started thinking about that and I started thinking about my parents who are in their mid and late seventies and have, health challenges and are in the, the Northwestern part of the United States. They're, they're in the heart of ski country in Montana for crying out loud. And it's not like that doesn't draw people from several different States and Canada all, all season long. Oh yeah. And so when you start thinking about that, for me, it was, I don't have control over making sure that they're safe and that, that lack of control it bothers me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. You know, we're, we're going to be honest with our listeners. I'm, I'm worried. Um, all I can do is keep the faith that they're going to be okay. And that the people around them are taking the precautions to keep sure, make sure that they're safe. And you and I, and others like us, we're taking the precautions to keep somebody else's grandparents and parents safe. So, yeah, I agree. you know, it, it, if we're all connected, that's why we're doing this. It's, it's not, it's not because we're chicken. It's not because we believe it's a, you know, conspiracy or whatever. The fact of the matter is viruses don't care what, what your politics are and they don't care how old you are and they don't care what you gave to, you know, if you're a good church going person or not, viruses are viruses. They act the way they are. They're opportunistic. They go for the weak and the, um, and, and the immunocompromised. So, you know what, that's, that's how I get through that fear is the faith that somebody is surrounding the people I love and doing the right thing to protect them. And I'm doing the right thing to protect the people that somebody else loves. So that's how I get through that, Kayleen. (laughs) So what frustrates you? Oh, sorry. What frustrates me? Yeah. Uh, probably the constant bombardment of information that's coming through the, the different channels. And last night I purposely avoided all the channels and found something else to watch on television. You know, I did too. I love St. Patrick's Day to an unholy level. It's my favorite holiday on, on earth. I celebrate it every year with a big old party and... And, um, you know, I, I go all out. I usually dress up in green and go to work that day and I make an obnoxious butthead of myself. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, yesterday I just, I couldn't get in the spirit, Kayleen. I just couldn't. 
until I turned on TCM and there was John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara in The Quiet Man. And I just went, you know what? This is what I needed. So I, I closed up the laptop. I put down the phone and I just watched The Quiet Man for an hour and some odd minutes. And it was, it was a good escape. And I think that's what we all yeah. have to do. We have to find that escape. Yeah, I agree. I, the boys and I, they, we were obviously at home today and by, I don't know what time it was, two or three o'clock, they were needing something to do besides watch TV. <laughs> yes, I'm that parent that puts them in front of the television so I get some peace and quiet. Ain't no but shame in that him, game. <laughs> I told them if they were good that we'd go walk out in the pasture and see if there's any, any water in the creek. and they, they made it, barely. So we walked out there and Sean and I took the camera with us and that made the little one mad because he wanted something to take pictures with so he got an old phone to take pictures with so we were all out there. <laughs> the boys and I and the dogs and even the cat went out there with us. <laughs> Willie or Fuzzy? <laughs> Willie did. <laughs> you know, I think that's what frustrates me too is just the sheer amount of people that it's very frustrating for me as somebody in journalism and we have the sources that are telling us this is the way it is. These are trusted sources. They're the CDC and the World Health Organization. They're, you know, people that know more than I do. And what frustrates me are the people that think it's either a conspiracy or a hoax or it's been blown up out of proportion. It, it frustrates me because I kind of feel a little bit like this, the the Greek seer, Cassandra, who um, nobody believed her and and she told them it's, it's going to be bad and nobody believed her and oh, lo and behold, it turned out to be bad. <laughs> I kind of just want to shake some people and go, you know what? It's not funny. Granted, we all have to laugh at some things and, and, you know, if we find humor, we can, we can get through stuff. I know that. I know that in my heart and my head, but there's just some people that I just want to go, you know what? I know that this is rough and I know that there's a lot of, you know, last things, you know, seniors aren't going to get their proms and kids aren't, athletes aren't going to get their senior nights and, you know, Seniors aren't going to be able to show their their steers at the at the Houston Livestock Rodeo and Livestock and Rodeo. I, I get that, but at the same time, it's really tr- it's really frustrating for me, Kayleen. That yeah, people don't think a friend, beyond. A friend themselves. of mine, a friend of mine on Facebook, she had a post earlier about an hour ago, and I'm going to read it from Aaron Aaron Boggs, and it says. Let's work extra hard, not over-dramatizing this. We are not starving. We're not perishing in terrible conditions. We're, we are not survivors of something that means we stay at home and take precautions. People who survived the Dust Bowl and Holocaust are survivors. We are inconvenienced. That's just right. That's so. that's right. You know, there's going to be ways, there's, there's going to be ways that, that people can safely gather and celebrate a graduation. And can celebrate, a, you know, a prom dress. And there's there's going to have to be ways that we figure those things out. 
it may not come to us right now, but um, you know, this is unprecedented. In my lifetime, I've I've never seen anything like this, Kayleen. We've never seen anything like this. You know, we lived through 9-11 and the Challenger explosion. And, you know, we grew up during the middle of the the height of the AIDS epidemic, you know? This is something that defies all of that as far as the scale. Yeah. I mean, like the natural disasters that we had, the fires and the blizzards and you come it comes a point when you can kind of recover and kind of move on and there's just so many unknowns with all this that you don't know for sure yeah like i mean the snow the snow melts in a couple of days we don't know (laughs) about this the waters recede eventually the stuff from the tornado gets picked up um grass comes back after a fire i i just i don't know what the end game is for this so, yeah. okay, we've we've had our fears, we've had our frustrations. Let's talk what inspires us. What have you seen that inspires you through this whole mess? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, what is that? <coughs> no coughing. <laughs> I choked on my spit. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I don't know, probably the humor that some people are able to to keep at this sort of point in the game is kind of kind of inspiring. And last night I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw a couple of posts from some photographers that I follow and they were talking about how, you know, the sen- the seniors aren't gonna get experience this and that and I kind of put out on my own photography thing that, you know, if there's somebody that wants a picture in their cap and gown I will come take it for you. And the same goes for a prom dress. I mean, if you want a nice picture of you in your prom dress, bring it on out. We'll figure it out. You know, I um, I think what inspires me are the, the people that have kind of banded together in places that they don't normally talk to each other, you know? And they reach out to their neighbors and say, hey, can I get you something from the store? Um, you know, I saw the tale of a kid who was going to go for the last two loaves of bread on the shelf. And he saw that there was this little old lady standing next to him who needed a loaf of bread. And he gave her both loaves. And then he told his mom, sorry, mom, they're out. It's that kind of, it's that kind of spirit that makes us Americans. That's, that's the American spirit right there of looking around at who needs the help or who needs the hand or, who needs an understanding shoulder at some point and just go, you know, I'll take care of you. I think what inspires me greatly, though, are the healthcare professionals, the people on the front lines right now, Kayleen. I I can't imagine the, the stress that they're under right now, just professionally alone. But personally, they've got families themselves, you know? Yeah, I've seen, I've seen a few instances on Twitter of... You know, the, the wife saying that their her husband is going to be gone for essentially a month because he's going to go live at the hospital so he doesn't expose his own family. Yeah. I think, um, I think that is a true hero. I mean, they're... Oh, no doubt. They're, they're putting themselves in front of, in front of a wall. They're standing a post on the wall. And... 
you know, the, the math, the math guys, it, nobody gets out of this easily enough. You know, no, no country, no, no country in the world is going to get out of this without some sort of hurt. And, you know, we've already seen fatalities in the United States. Um, all the mathematicians say that those will rise exponentially. Um, you know, I think what's going to get us through all of that that's coming at us, I think what will keep us sane and productive and figure out ways to keep the economy going and to keep our people safe, I think what's going to happen is we look to each other and we stop, you know, us versus them, the whole thing, and we instead start looking at things as a we fix. You know, we are in this together. We will find the fix. You know, yeah, and it's not it's not us against the government or the government's not against us. But yeah, I've been hearing a lot of that, and that's kind of frustrating to me. You know, I I just uh, I'm kind of you know as we go forward, High Plains Journal is going to have coverage of COVID nineteen and and the novel coronavirus. We're going to have discussions about that, and and tomorrow we're having a, a powwow or a meeting at the office and editorial about, you know, what are the story threads that we need to start pulling? Um, you know, what, what are the storylines that we need to start exploring? What are the questions that our readers and our listeners have about the coronavirus and, and agriculture and how this might affect our ag economy and, and our daily lives in rural America? Um, so yeah, that's, that's where we're going to get, we're going to go. And, and, you know, we hope that uh, as we go forward, High Plains Journal also is going to be planning to have our employees and staff work from home. Uh, we're, we're in the process of making sure that that happens seamlessly so people don't have um, delays in delivery of their print paper. And uh, but that way, the news still gets out to folks that need it. And and I'll I've always appreciated that about us, that no matter what we face at High Plains Journal, we put our readers first. You know, their their information needs come first, right, Kayleen? Absolutely. And if you all have a comment or a thought, you can drop us a line at hpjtalk at hpj.com and let us know or call us at the office, 1-800-452-7171. And, uh, you know, if you're over at iTunes, go ahead and, and uh, leave us a review there. We'd sure appreciate it. Um, This week's episode, we're going to bring you the stories you might have missed in the March 16th print edition. Uh, Kayleen has an interview on BQA from NCBA, and Kayleen will then bring us the latest on grain markets and we'll have some final thoughts. So folks, the news is a little scary, but remember, we're all in this together, even if we're practicing social distancing 10 miles apart from each other. (laughs) So cover your mouths, wash your hands. And ride with us here on HPJ Talk. Our cover story this week was from you, Jenny. Generations of wheat farmers developing markets. 
So that's right, Kayleen. Uh, 2020 marks the 40th anniversary of the U.S. Weed Associates. In uh, 1980, there were two farmer-led organizations called Great Plains Wheat Market Development Association, which started in the Plains states in 1958, and the Pacific Northwest, um, and the one that Pacific Northwest farmers formed called Western Wheat Associates in 1959. Those two organizations joined together in 1980 to create U.S. Wheat Associates in order to promote all the segments of U.S. wheat around the world. So I spoke with uh, former Kansas Secretary of Ag, Adrian Polanski. He was just a young farmer on the Kansas Wheat Commission at that time of the vote about what was going on in agriculture 40 years ago. You know, Kayleen, as I started looking at that, there's a lot of similarities between 2020 and 1980. Uh, The Russian grain embargo dropped grain prices. Uh, Farm debt doubled. There was a lot of overproduction, so it was tough times all around, um, much like what we're, we're hearing today. So the only hope back in 80 for wheat farmers was to develop overseas demand for their crop, and that's what U.S. wheat has done for 40 years. So uh, did you know that today, for every $1 invested by wheat farmers in U.S. wheat associates through their state wheat checkoffs, there's $149 in wheat exports that are generated, and that same dollar bill, Kayleen, it returns $45 in net revenue back to farmers' pockets from that export demand. And that's all from a a bunch of uh, wheat farmers that got together in the 1950s after World War II and said, hey, there's got to be a way to increase our demand overseas. Yeah, I had no idea how how all that came about and where the U.S. Wheat Associates came from. And if you want to know more about the story, you should go online and read it at www.hpj.com. You know, Kayleen, you also brought us a really neat story from NCBA's Cattlemen's College. Uh, Shailene McNeil, who's the Executive Director of Nutrition Science, Health Science, Culinary, and Outreach for NCBA, and Daniel Beck, Director of Governmental Affairs, they uh, chatted about nutritional information. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they said that there's some research out there that is flawed in its views of beef. How could that possibly be? Beef is so good for us. Yeah, uh, McNeil said that beef tends to get a bad rap because of weak science that relies on correlation, not causation. And the checkoff is working on research of randomized control trials, uh, gold standard studies that can better determine cause and effect. And it's really kind of interesting. And during that segment, they just they went back and forth, and both of them, you know, gave their part of the side of the of the talk, and it was it was really kind of a good way to, to hear all about it. And so on our opinion and editorials page, Jenny, you have the editorial protecting the human herd. Seymour clearly writes about recently released historical documents and photos into the public domain by the Smithsonian Open Access Program. Yeah, and then our colleague David Murray from Waterways Journal, he wrote about FCC Chairman Ajit Pai, who's pressing ahead with the plan for the federal government to hold public auctions of mid-band or C-band spectrum by the end of the year. Okay, so that part of the signal spectrum combines the ability to send signals long distances with the ability to hold large amounts of data. So that's critical to roll out 5G um, at a, on a larger, wider scale. Pretty neat. If you have a response to something you've read or heard, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. We want to hear from you.
This is Kayleen Scott. I'm here with Chase, how do you say your last name? Dequate. Dequate. And you are the head of the BQA program with NCBA? Yeah, director of the Beef Quality Assurance Program at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Okay, I know what Beef Quality Assurance is. Can you tell our listeners what it is all about? Yeah, so the Beef Quality Assurance, or, or BQA program, as it's uh, pretty widely known in the beef industry, uh, has been around for 30 years, and it's a training and certification program that beef producers can participate in to learn about best practices and uh, and principles uh, that can help improve the quality, safety, and wholesomeness of, of the beef that they're producing uh, with their cattle. So overall, we work to provide different resources and tools to help uh, farmers and ranchers become as successful as they can be with the cattle that they're raising. So is it an online process? Do they go to a meeting? Do, how, do, how do they learn? How do they get certified? Yeah, uh, a few different ways folks can get certified. Each year, uh, we have hundreds of BQA in-person certifications that our state uh, programs run uh, and conduct. And those are a great way to interact with uh, not only BQA trainers, but also other producers uh, and learn how BQA uh, fits into their operations network and, and help improve each other. Um, but we also have online training and certification. In fact, uh, just this week, we uh, launched all new uh, online training modules with new videos new interactivity, um, and hopefully they're, they're the most enjoyable uh, experience that you can have in an online training uh, environment. So really excited to launch those and, and bring those to the forefront. And what we hear is that uh, some producers really just value the convenience um, of that online platform where they can go in there, uh, learn at their own pace, but also uh, have the access to that all year long, uh, 24 hours a day. Is there one of the modules that you can you can talk about and kind of explain, you know, what, what they see in that certain one? Yeah, so we actually have three uh, different sets of modules, um, and they're for each different industry segment. So if you're a cow-calf producer, uh, that, that set of modules is going to be tailored to uh, your type of operation, and the examples, the videos, and the like are all going to be tailored to, to things that might be familiar to you uh, and the way that you raise cattle. If you're a feeder, uh, we have a set of modules for you that might uh, be most appropriate for the setting that you're in and, and raising cattle in. Um, but really, uh, you get to interact with the, these modules pretty closely. Uh, one of my favorite activities um, is in our uh, livestock handling or cattle handling module. You have the opportunity to move around a cattle handler and see how the animals will interact um, and really get to understand uh, that animal instinct and how you can use it to your advantage when you're, when you're handling cattle, which we all know can be pretty fun yes. sometimes. <laughs> it gets kind of hairy sometimes. <laughs> In my part of the world, there's a lot of feedlots. Is there a feedlot module too? Or are they available in... Spanish and English, or how do, how do you guys handle that sort of situation? Yeah, so we uh, provide modules both in English and in Spanish. Mm -hmm. um, our newest modules uh, have rolled out in English so far, and then just in the next couple of months, we'll roll out uh, in Spanish. Um, but we do have uh, feed yard modules mm -hmm. for uh, those folks that either run the feed yard, manage the feed yard, but also uh, you, you'd find it advantageous for those employees to, to take advantage of it uh, and just learn those best practices because uh, hopefully, uh, you know, a well-trained workforce is going to work the best for you. Yeah, I agree. There was a study that came out from CSU. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, so Colorado State last year finished up a study where they looked at over a decade's worth of uh, data around feeder calves being sold uh, through video auction markets. Uh, what they found in that is that uh, cattle that uh, had in their lot description a BQA certification, uh, that those cattle were uh, worth $16.80 more 
per head on average uh, than cattle without uh, including BQA in their lot description. So really encouraging data that by sharing uh, the information through the beef value chain about your BQA certification, you might be able to uh, really take advantage of that and have some economic incentive. So what's the biggest thing a producer or an employee at a ranch or a feedlot would get out of BQA? Yeah, you know, I think the... We, as an industry, have uh, been responsibly raising cattle for a really long time. Mm -hmm. uh, before even the advent of BQA, people were doing their best to, to raise a high-quality product. Uh, but, you know, there's always something that you can take away that you may not have thought of uh, from a training. And, and understanding uh, something new, learning something new, uh, trying something out on your own operation, implementing that, sometimes just those little tweaks uh, just make you that much better. And, and hopefully, uh, with potential uh, economic advantage with uh, potential efficiency advantage in working cattle and mm -hmm. and uh, you know reducing your your use of animal health products potentially by uh, having a herd health plan things like that uh, you might just find it worth it to to get BQA certified to go through the training uh, to be consistent that and and we all learn something new every day yes now where can people go to find the information or have questions who do they get a hold of yeah, so the best spot to go for all of our BQA resources, all of our training, uh, and all of those tools is bqa.org. It's your first stop uh, to, to go there. You can find uh, any of the information you need, and you can connect also uh, with your state BQA program uh, right there on bqa.org. Well, thanks, Chase, for talking with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Prices from Dodge City's Pratt Resources on March 10th. Corn was up at $3.68. Wheat was down at $4. Milo was up at $3.28. And soybeans were down at $7.76. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters on our website, www.hpj.com slash sign up. Simply select the topics that interest you and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Be sure to watch for the cattle issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes March 23rd with a story from Lacey Newland. And look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com slash podcast. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again for riding along with us, folks, as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, Fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. Headlights on both ends of my day. This country Right.